Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. so crazy about it's just music as the saying goes if at first you don't succeed try try again i'm greg cott of the chicago tribune and i'm jim dirigatis from wbez and columbia college today it's the comeback kids of rock as greg and i highlight some of the best second acts in music history Plus, we'll review the latest from Space Rockers Spiritualized. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. And now, here he is, the star of our show, Dick Thank you. Thank you, Celine. You have the most magnificent eyes I've seen in a long time. Nice job. By the way, if you're not going to be too busy for the next hour or so, why don't you come and join the granddaddy of all the popular music of the day, American Bandstand, with our special guest today, Al Martino and the Young Rascals. We'll be back with you in just a moment. That's the original theme music for American Bandstand, the show that Dick Clark uh, took to national syndication in the 50s and for 30 years dominated rock and roll as far as a nationally televised entity was concerned. Dick Clark, dead at the age of 82 of a heart attack, known for forever, really, as America's oldest living teenager. It was a shtick, and uh, it was a shtick that he played to the hilt. Here's a guy, Dick Clark, who never really was particularly fond of rock and roll, but yet he was the clean-cut face, the guy in the suit and the tie who introduced most of America to it, especially in the 50s, when it was perceived as a sort of an edgy, new youth culture phenomenon that was going to come and go. Anybody over the age of 25 really didn't get it. The then 26-year-old Dick Clark going on this nationally syndicated show, American Bandstand, out of Philadelphia, presented it to America as something that they needed to pay attention to and respect. And he was the gatekeeper. He was the face of the franchise. So the kids loved Dick because he uh, worked for them. He was the guy presenting this music to them, and the adults trusted him. Dick Clark played both sides of the fence, became a very wealthy man as a result, a better businessman and an announcer than a rock and roll expert. As I said, he didn't really like rock and roll. In fact, he detested it originally. He was more of an R&B and jazz guy by his own admission, but he understood that there was a tremendous business opportunity here, and he ran with it all the way to the bank. He was able to skirt all sorts of scandals during the 50s and 60s. For one, he was lightly tarred with the payola scandals in the 50s, but was able to come out from under them as opposed to some of his peers like Alan Freed, whose careers were ruined. He presented a number of key artists on his show. American Bandstand, it should be noted, was the major national platform for a number of acts throughout the decades. And I'm talking about people like Buddy Holly, James Brown, Simon and Garfunkel, Ike and Tina Turner. He introduced a lot of these people to their first national audience. 
Clark didn't necessarily understand or appreciate every act he had on the show. For example, he had Public Image Limited on the show in 1980, Johnny Lydon's first post-Sex Pistols band. Hello, Johnny. What is your name, sir? Very nice to have you here. What's your name, sir? Joe Wubble. The Joe Wubble. Wubble, nice to have you here. Hello. What's your name, please? Martin Atkins. Welcome. Hello, Johnny. You all right? Feeling okay? Would you like the uh, what? Would you like the audience here or in their seats again? They're all right here. All right. Want to come out and go? You want everybody out? All right, you can all come. Everybody out. All right, one more time here. Public Image Limited. And then he played a pretty key role in introducing a pop singer out of New York City, originally out of Detroit, to the world in 1984, and that, of course, would be Madonna. When you went back to New York, you sang with a trillion bands, you quit, yeah. and you went out on your own. Were you the least bit scared to do that? Not really. I think I've always had a lot of confidence in myself. We are, we are a couple of weeks into the new year. What do you hope will happen, not only in 1984, but for the rest of your professional life? What are your dreams? What's left? Mm, to rule the world. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Madonna. She wanted to rule the world, and by that time, Dick Clark already was ruling the world in many ways. He became a very successful game show host in the 70s with programs like Pyramid and the $10,000 Pyramid. He also founded the New Year's Rockin' Eve franchise in 1973. It was an affront to most of Americans at that time because Guy Lombardo was the guy dominating our New Year's Eve celebrations back then. New Year's Rock and Eve was seen as a huge risk. Of course, it is still going strong. Clark had to give up the program in 2004 when he suffered a stroke. Ryan Seacrest took it over, but uh, Clark went on to make subsequent guest appearances on the program that he founded. But he is still best known, and rightly so, for American Bandstand. One of the things he did was to highlight some of his own artists. He had a stake in a number of record companies. One of them was a label that signed an artist named Freddie Cannon, who, not coincidentally, appeared on American Bandstand more than any other artist, more than 100 times. Freddie Cannon, an artist in the late 50s, early 60s, who had several hit singles. Here's one of them that he played on American Bandstand in honor of Dick Clark, 1962's Palisades Park from Freddie Cannon on Sound Opinions.
That's Palisades Park from Freddie Cannon in 1962. It was performed on American Bandstand, and we're playing it in honor of Dick Clark, who died at the age of 82. You're looking for trouble? You came to the right place. You're looking for trouble? Just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. Greg, that is a little bit of Elvis Presley in 1968, the famous comeback special, probably the most famous and celebrated rock and roll comeback ever. After uh, his stint in the Army and his dalliance with Hollywood, Elvis showing he is still the king of rock and roll. We have been thinking about great second acts or great comebacks in rock history. Obviously, there are some famous ones. You know, Johnny Cash, the whole last 10 years of his career coming back in a very different way, very powerfully. Santana, from his time in the 60s to his reemergence in the late 90s. Peter Gabriel, starts out as a singer in Genesis, becomes a great solo artist. We want to dig deeper than examples that are that obvious and really look at this phenomenon of the second act. You're right, Jim. One artist that I think, though, has been overlooked when people talk about comebacks is an artist that's pretty famous, but he made an incredible comeback in the early 80s, immediately before his death. I'm talking about Marvin Gaye. People, of course, remember the great hits that he had in the 60s, those iconic albums he had in the early 70s, like What's Going On and Let's Get It On. But then there was a pretty deep, fallow period there for nearly a decade where he descended into drug problems, worked through two divorces, filed for bankruptcy. His career seemed to be completely over. In fact, he was actually divorced from his record label, Motown, that had given him his start. Everybody thought Marvin Gaye's career was done. But he gave us one more great record before he died. In 1982, he released the Midnight Love album for a new label, Columbia, after winding up in Belgium, of all places. He had left the U.S. because of his bankruptcy problems. He had settled in London and then moved to Belgium, where he recorded Sexual Healing, a number one R&B hit for him that year. This album went on to sell $3 million on the heels of that single, And then in February of 1983, only a few months later, people may remember this, that famous version of the Star Spangled Banner that he sang at the NBA All-Star Game. Yeah. A year later, he got into an argument with his father. He had descended back into drugs. His father shot him. Marvin Gaye died. A day before his 45th birthday, on April 1, 1984, Marvin Gaye was dead. But as I said, one last comeback effort, the Midnight Love album, with this iconic song, Sexual Healing, from Marvin Gaye on Sound Opinions.
Marvin Gaye with one of the great second acts in music history, Sexual Healing on Sound Opinions. Jim, what do you got for us? Well, Greg, I'm already going to break the rules. I'm going with a third act. When you think about Paul Weller, he emerged in the post-punk era as the leader of the jam. He was the mod father, the great second wave mod music uh, champion of the UK. When the jam broke up, he, of course, led the Style Council. A little bit too much new romantic in it for my tastes, okay? And I never really liked the jam because I'm a rocker not a mod. I want to celebrate Paul Weller's third act. From 1992 to 2012, fine album released this year called Sonic Kicks. He has released 11 solo albums. He remains a considerable music force in the United Kingdom, much less known outside of his cult here in the U.S. And yet I think record for record, these songs are just amazing on these solo albums. And there's much less of the artifice, you know, it was all about the kind of mod posturing in the jam and it was about the soul revival thing in the Style Council. Now he's just a darn good singer and songwriter who delivers from the heart every time out of bat and has honed that sense of humor in that great Ray Davis tradition of English sociological commentary. I'm going to play one of his greatest pop songs. This is a tune called Sunflower. It's from uh, 1993's Wildwood album, his second solo album. Paul Weller on Sound Opinions. I don't care how long is less. We have no future. We have no past. I write this now while I'm in control. I choose the words the melody goes Long winding streets We walk hand in hand Now I'm off for the sharp wind To take my breath away again I run my fingers Through your head Yeah, like a wee feel I run through
Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we'll congratulate more artists on their solid second acts. And later in the show, Greg and I will review the latest from psychedelic maestros, Spiritualized. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we're talking about some of the best comebacks in music history, and that is certainly one of them. That is Cher with a great song, released in late 98, was the song of 1999, as far as I'm concerned, believe. And what a comeback for Cher. A lot of people associate her with those Sonny and Cher songs from the 60s, her solo hits in the 70s, then went away for a long time. But this put her back on the dance pop map. And uh, she started selling out arenas once again, one of the great comebacks of the last couple of decades. The next act I want to play is an illustration of something I think that rarely happens in music, Jim. A band makes a couple of iconic records, then goes away for a while working on the follow-up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's kind of like this whole anticipation for that record often exceeds what is actually done. In the case of this particular group, they not only came back a decade after making their biggest successes on album, but made a third album that I think was a terrific part of their catalog and totally reinvented, in many ways, what the band was all about originally. I'm talking about Portishead. Trio out of Bristol, England, in many ways defined that trip-hop movement out of England in the early to mid-'90s with a 94 debut album called Dummy. Okay, what what is trip-hop? It's basically a U.K. response to U.S. hip-hop. They were using those drum loops, but with more of a dark, atmospheric kind of background. And the vocals, Beth Gibbons defined this group with her downbeat, almost despairing vocals over the top of these beats. Very evocative sound. I knew a certain group of people that this was the chill-out record Mm -hmm. of that decade for many people. 
So how are they going to follow up these successes? They put out two albums in the 90s, then went away. In 2008, they came back with a record called Third that didn't try to repeat the success of those earlier records, but went for a completely new sound. Jeff Barrow, Beth Gibbons, Adrian Utley stowed themselves away in the studio for a few years and came up with a much more aggressive sound, more abrasive textures, more churning rhythms, evoking German art rock more so than that trip-hop they were doing in the 90s. The one unifying thread with the earlier records, Beth Gibbons' vocals. You could tell it was the same band, but everything else around her had changed. It was a much more provocative and aggressive sound. Here's a track from that third record that came out in 2008. It's called Silence from Portishead on Sound Opinions. Tempted in our Silence by Portishead from third, another of Greg Cott's picks for great second acts. Greg, I'm going to pick another artist now that I think some people may not immediately say, oh, second act, Tupac Shakur. And I am not talking about his recent reappearance at the Coachella Music Festival between Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg as a hologram. 15 years after Tupac's death. People forget this guy emerged as a roadie, as a backup dancer, and sometimes they gave him a microphone and let him MC with the alternative hip-hop group Digital Underground. Remember them? When he would begin his solo career, it, of course, was as a very different kind of artist, a serious poet, a social commentator, and a thug. Six albums released in his career, an astonishing 75 million copies sold worldwide, and that was as of 2007. No wonder Dre wants to bring uh, Tupac back as a animatronic or hologram or ghost image, whatever you want to call it, to tour with again. 
I don't think that third act would be very successful. But boy, I don't know if you could name a better artistic or commercial success as a second act ever in musical history. I'm going to play a song that really epitomizes Tupac at his best, Greg. Changes, that tune from 1992, a wonderful diatribe against racism and corruption. Great rhymes, great music, great flow by this artist. Do you know who produced it? I have no idea. Humpty Hump himself, Shock G, going back to the start of Tupac's career with Digital Underground. Here he is on Sound Opinions. In the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a need, bro. Pull a trigger, kill him, he's a heat, bro. Get it to the kids who the hell cares. One less hungry mouth on the welfare. First ship him, don't let him deal with brothers. Give him guns, step back, watch them kill each other. It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said. Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead. I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with each other. We gotta start making changes Learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers And that's how it's supposed to be How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids But then it changed And that's the way it is Come on, come on That's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is Oh yeah Changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist. We under. I wonder what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the waste. Take the evil out the people. They'll be acting right. It's both black and white. And smoke tonight. And the only time we chill is when we kill each other. It takes guilt to be real time to heal each other. And although it seems evident, we ain't ready to see a black president. Uh, it ain't a secret or concealed a fact. A penitentiary's packed and it's filled with black. That is Tupac Shakur with a song called Changes, one of the great comebacks in music history, and that's what we're running down, great second acts, artists that have come back from oblivion or irrelevance to make great albums. And here's another example, Roy Orbison. Jim, one of the most revered figures in rock and roll. Late 50s, early 60s, was on the charts all the time, incredibly influential musician. I mean, he didn't look the part. Here's this rock star, a veteran of the rockabilly era, But, you know, he had these Coke bottle glasses on stage. He barely moved. But what a voice, that operatic range, three-octave range that enabled him to create these incredible songs of heartbreak, these psychodramas like Crying and Only the Lonely and Running Scared. And then he ran into some huge personal problems, a a late 60s divorce, a fire in his Tennessee home that killed two of his sons. His career collapsed. He came back, though, in the late 80s in rather unconventional fashion. He had a lot of fans in in the movie industry as well as the music industry. David Lynch was one of them. And he used one of Orbison's songs, In Dreams, in a key scene from the movie Blue Velvet. Remember that creepy movie with Dennis Hopper in it? Brilliant. And he he had Dean Stockwell lip-syncing In Dreams, being illuminated by this single light bulb. It was a fascinating, really creepy scene, 
and Orbison's music came back into the culture in kind of a backdoor kind of way. Katie Lang did a remake of his song, Crying, and then Orbison fell in with this supergroup of friends. Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, they called themselves the Traveling Wilburys. Suddenly, Roy Orbison had a hit on the charts. But I think what really cemented his comeback for me was that Orbison made a great studio album on his own with T-Bone Burnett as producer. It was called Mystery Girl. It ended up selling three million copies. And T-Bone got him back into his comfort zone where he was singing original material again. He was singing songs that other artists had written for him. And he really recaptured a lot of the vibe that made him great, that incredible voice singing these heartbreaking songs with sort of a rockabilly vibe. Here's one of the tracks from that Mystery Girl record that ended up selling 3 million copies. It's called All I Can Do Is Dream You from Roy Orbison on Sound Opinions. I've been away from you for so long Still every time I think of us I get blue But all I can do is dream you All I Can Do Is Dream You from Roy Orbison, his 1988 album, Mystery Girl, that put him back on the map. Jim, what do you got next as a comeback? Greg, my next choice is going to be an artist I know you will disagree with because the Sound Opinions producers certainly do. But I am standing up for Eric Francis Schrody, a.k.a. Everlast. First appeared on the music scene as a member of that kind of mookish collective House of Pain. These are Irish-American guys proud of their heritage, wearing Celtics jerseys, giving us that big hit that is still a staple at many sporting events jump around. All right, go ahead, laugh at House of Pain. That's okay. But I will stand up for Everlast's solo career, and I think it fits in this show because, I don't know, name a more radical reinvention from this rapping mook to the kind of post-hip-hop, post-modern Johnny Cash, singer, songwriter, a lot of acoustic guitar, a lot of heart and soul. 
was also part of the huge Santana comeback by giving the voice to put your lights on. But I think Everlast has put out a pretty credible body of solo work. Whitey Ford sings the blues and Eat at Whitey's, even his album last year, Songs of the Ungrateful Living, was really good. I'm going to play the song that was the lead single on Whitey Ford Sings the Blues in 1998. It was a big hit, What It's Like by Everlast on Sound Opinions. like from Everlast on Sound Opinions, one of Jim DeRogatis' great musical comebacks, an opportunity to hear the words Everlast and Johnny Cash used in the same sentence. I don't think I can go there with you, Jim. I'm sticking I'm by sorry. That. You just lauded the traveling <laughs> Wilburys, for goodness sakes. All right, we want to turn it over to you, the listener. Who do you think has made an amazing musical comeback? Share your opinion on the air at 888-859-1800. We'll be back with our final picks plus a review of the seventh release by Spiritualized. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.
Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Ellen Cool J with a triumphant comeback. More so But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we are wrapping up our look at some of the great second acts in rock history. Greg, if I went with either Wire or the Buzzcocks, it would have been too obvious, but I think in particular that arty, punk, post-punk kind of genre lends itself to bands taking some time off and returning because they were always throughout their careers about moving forward. And when they've come back, they didn't try to duplicate the past. They just kept going forward. I think the band that epitomizes that more than any other is Mission of Burma. In the 80s, they really took that mixture of melody and noise and avant-garde experimentation somewhere new. But they put out one EP and one album, and then they broke up because the leader, Roger Miller, was having problems with tinnitus. Then in 2004, they reunited. And since then, they have put out three albums, all of them great, with a fourth coming this year. They've tripled their initial output, and they have not done their legacy shame at all. It's every bit as good as what came before. I'm going to play a song by the second generation, Mission of Burma. It is called Max Ernst's Dream from On Off On in 2004. Here it is on Sound Opinions. That is Mission of Burma Mach 2 with Max Ernst's Dream from 2004. Greg, how are you going to complete our look at Second Acts? Jim, i got to say, I'm going to go with you on those uh, Burma comeback albums. I think they're great as well. And my final act for a comeback is the Swedish pop singer Robin Miriam Carlson, otherwise known as Robin, R-O-B-Y-N. You know, teen pop acts, they they used to say they never had a second life. You could count them on one hand. You know, who actually sustained a career after having those teeny bop hits as a teenager? 
you know, you think about Michael Jackson, and then the list uh, shrinks down pretty quickly. But in the last decade or so, I think you've started to see more of these teen acts, you know, the Justin Timberlakes, the Britney Spears, the Christina Aguilera, have sustained careers as adults. But I think the best of the bunch, as far as I'm concerned, is is Robin. In the 90s, she was recording for a major label. She had a couple of worldwide hits, including Do You Know What It Takes, and then basically reinvented herself. She had a background with some arty theater parents in more avant-garde experimental circles, and she said, once I got old enough, once I became an adult in my 20s, you know, I wanted to pursue a more adventurous course. So she left the major, started her own label in Sweden, and began recording music the way she envisioned it. She wanted to create dance pop with a certain level of lyrical smarts combined with a more avant-garde approach in the music that would basically work on several levels, both for the body and the brain. And I think she really nailed it in 2010 with not one but three albums called Body Talk, a trilogy of records in which she wanted to explore this theme of combining the head and the heart. I wanted that four on the floor, she told me back then, but I wanted to say something too. And this song, I think, perfectly embodies that idea, dancing on my own, the vulnerability that you feel, even though you're in the middle of the sea of bodies on a dance floor, uh, you feel incredibly alone. Dancing on my own from Robin on Sound Opinions. That's Dancing on My Own from Robin, one of my favorite comebacks of all time. You can look at our complete lists at soundopinions.org. I got two arms that can hold 
a song called Freedom from the new album by Spiritualized Sweetheart Sweet Light the seventh of its career living my life on a prayer now I've got no right to be here Jason Spaceman Pierce sings there Greg for three decades Pierce has been simultaneously one of rock's most notorious addictive personalities but one of its most productive. Seven albums as Spiritualized, which followed his early career in the 80s as a member of Spaceman 3, the band that put droning minimalism, a la the Velvet Underground, together with a kind of electronic consciousness that came from Krautrock and that was heading towards dance music and really influenced a lot of what would follow in the shoegazer movement of the 90s. After Spaceman 3 broke up with Sonic Boom going into the dance world and Jason Pierce staying in rock and roll, he formed a group called Spiritualized, which took a lot of that Velvet Underground drone and the minimalist approach, but a big Phil Spector wall of sound, into a new direction with the addition of gospel music. An interesting thing for an English musician to seize upon, the American church, the American black church, spiritual sounds, Right there in the name, Spiritualized. They debuted with an album that was called Laser Guided Melodies, considered by many a masterpiece in 1992. And they matched that peak in 1997 with Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space. The first record, really inspired by Pierce's struggles with drug addiction. The second, inspired by misery in his romantic life. This is a guy who had a lot of pain and made art out of it. The other four albums were variations on those formulas, and he's been out of commission for some time, spending the last six months fighting degenerative liver disease under an intense and experimental treatment with chemotherapy. Now he's back with a new album called Sweetheart, Sweet Light for the Fat Possum label. Here is Spiritualized with the song Hey Jane on Sound Opinions. Hey Jane, where you going today? Then you ran all day That clock going 110 I never said I'd get you back again So you ain't got time to make no mistakes Ain't got time to waste my breaks Hey Jane, where you going today? You need a fire, then you find the flame They say you got a troubled soul I say you got it on a roll So you ain't got time to change your ways Ain't got time to make no Show them what you can do Where you going? 
show them what you can do. That's Hey Jane on Sound Opinions from Spiritualized. The new album is called Sweetheart, Sweet Light. Seven albums, Jim, as you said, variations on a theme. You know, they're interchangeable in a lot of ways. I think he made that sound in Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space in 1997, and he really hasn't varied very far from it since. You mentioned he's obsessed with these certain sounds, you know, the, the, the noise-melody combination that the Velvets and the Stooges specialized in, that sort of German art rock rhythmic trance, the big gospel choirs, you know, the orchestrated soul, you got the strings in there, and then you've got some free jazz as well, you know, the saxophone scronking away. You're saying that as if you think those are easy things to combine. Well, no, I mean, I'm just saying that he is playing on a lot of critics' sweet spots when he combines these elements. Critics love this guy. He's a little bit tougher nut to crack for some fans. I've loved all the records. I will say, though, that if you have one spiritualized record you need ladies and gentlemen and maybe this one's a second tier spiritualized record the themes are familiar you know drugs death god redemption he's going to be talking about despair and ecstasy these emotional extremes sometimes he gets a little melodramatic i don't think jason pierce is a great lyricist i do think he's an incredible arranger i can listen to his records forever don't get me wrong i love this guy i think he i think he makes great records but i think he's made better records than this one i'm going to give it a burn it rating yeah i was biting my tongue there because you uh, are rarely so wrong i think you made (laughs) the mistake of only listening to the service detail here I think this is the third spiritualized masterpiece. As I said, Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space is about romantic heartbreak. Laser Guided Melodies is about looking for redemption from God for being such a miserable drug addict. He has come out the other side here, Greg. This is the most optimistic record spiritualized ever has made. There's a lot of talk of Jesus and Mary in the lyrics, but I think his real higher power is rock and roll itself. Never has he so self-consciously referenced all of the music he grew up with. There's a part of Freedom where Mary Had a Little Lamb comes in. Hey Jane is an obvious homage to the Velvet Underground, but not just Sweet Jane, Pretty much every sound the Velvets ever did, given to us in a couple of minutes by Spiritualized. He's all over the map musically, and it's as if rock and roll is giving him a reason to live. I think thematically, and I think musically, this album is is a departure. It's not just formulaic Spiritualized. I think it's a masterpiece. Ooh. On the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale, this is a very enthusiastic Buy It. I don't know, Jim. Now, I'm right, and you're wrong. <laughs> you're just a cranky old man. What do we have on the show next week? You're just upset because I'm right all the time. But next week, we do have a great show, Jim. We become the Rock Doctors, and we're going to help out some needy musical patients. Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Annie Minoff, and our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malakia. He likes Everlast as much as I do. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. 
Hi, this is Doug Pine from Chicago. This is Lenny in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. This is Max Wassler. My name is Derek Benhoff. Hey, this is Chris from Chicago. You were asking about albums that would make great movies. How about Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by the Flaming Lips? One obvious Dylan song is Lily, Rosemary, and the Jack of Hearts. The script is right there. Every image. I would like to sound off that Jeff Buckley's Grace is primed for a screenplay. Both the cinematic qualities of the songs and the aspects of the word grace and all of the different interpretations of what grace is. Powderfinger by Neil Young. I think that'd be an excellent movie. It's already practically a movie. It's Marty Stewart. The album was called The Pilgrim. Betrayal, you know, love, redemption, the whole deal, man. You can't miss OK Computer, Radiohead, the ultimate album of technological disassociation, existential experience with a little coming-of-age element in there as well. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Nicholas in Lake Forest. I just listened to your podcast the weekend. Uh, mentioning what albums would make great movies. First thought, uh, Murder by Death, Who Will Survive and What Will Be Left of Them, a uh, story of the devil who takes his revenge on a small Mexican town. Well, the devil's bleeding crude oil from a hole in his chest. And it's hanging on the bedpan, dripping through the bed sheets. And all the businessmen putting bells beneath this one. Upon in the yard. The band itself really uh, hints at a full storyline throughout the whole thing. And I think it could be a really wonderful, dark film. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah, hi, guys. This is John near Pittsburgh. Let me ask you something. Is it possible to play a song by the Birds? They were a seminal band of the early 60s. I'm sure you know. Roger McGuinn, uh, Mr. Crosby, and uh, Chris Hillman. Original members are still playing around. If you really want to hear these guys rock, listen to the second or third cut on the LP Turn, Turn, Turn. It's called It Won't Be Wrong. Every time I'm in your arms, come to me, don't be long. You know that I'll never do you harm. Please let me love you and it won't be wrong. Let me love you, then you'll see. Come to me, come to me. Let me show you once and we'll be free. Please let me love you and it won't be wrong. Full of energy, full of life. That was the first recording I believe the birds made. It was originally made under the moniker the Bee Feeders. They wanted to sound English. That was the trend at the time. So, hey. A beef eaters from England, right? Keep rocking, guys. Love you. Bye. This is Owen from Muscle Shoals. I just caught your show for the first time as I was driving through Nashville, and I really enjoyed that interview with those guys from Athens. That's great. I'll be searching to hear your show again as I travel 
No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.